0: i a funny story because you mentioned um, being familiar with your own body. Mm-hmm. We had a call on the Beltway for a woman with severe abdominal pain. Mm-hmm. And anything that's on a highway, now you have a medic unit and you had two engines because now you need an engine on each side of the highway to make sure that we have the right side of the highway because sometimes people call and they say they're on one side but they're really on the
1: opposite side. And the engine is the truck.
0: No, a truck is a truck and an engine is an engine. What?
1: What is... Trucks carry ladders, engines carry water. But um So you're talking about fire engine.
0: Yeah, It what could be a tr- fire engine a or it could be a fire truck. A fire truck carries the ladders. Okay. So you have
1: like a ladder truck. But anywho, the,
0: you have the fire equipment, I would say, that on the highway calls to block off the road for the EMS providers so that they don't okay. have to worry about getting hit. So now that's even more people that you're pulling out onto this highway. And when the crews arrive, there is a big heaping pile of poo. What? And a woman, there's a, that's, yes, a big heaping pile of poop. And a woman who says, oh no, I'm okay now. Her son was hurting because she needed to use the bathroom.
1: We're pregnant. Bro, do you even oh, like I can't eat another One bite. One is usually bigger than the other. That tastes awful. Awesome. This won't hurt a Wait, bit. why is it leaking? You Whoa. That, that was not there, there yesterday. I have a second. That's I mean, totally I'm my natural hair color. Is that supposed to look like that? Don't, Don't worry. worry solid. Exactly. Deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the Rest of Us, a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body, If you're like many people, including me, the closest you've ever come to an ambulance is in the fifth version of Grand Theft Auto, where players win the video game by stealing different kinds of cars. But in real life, when they aren't helping us to earn gamer cred, or scaring the crap out of us in traffic when we suddenly hear their sirens screeching in the distance, Ambulances play a vital role in what's called pre-hospital care for patients with all sorts of medical needs and emergencies. If you've never been inside one, you're in for a real treat because for this week's adventure, through the magic of internet, special co-host Tracy joined me from 300 miles away to talk all about how ambulances work and what it's like to be taken to the hospital in one. Now, you may have noticed that Siri took the week off for this episode, but that's okay because Tracy is an ambulance professional and Siri isn't and so the whole thing kind of makes sense. If we get to the end of this episode and you decide you liked Tracy better, shoot us an email at info at com, and let us know. If enough of you write in, we may just be able to convince Tracy to chat with us more often in future episodes. But back to ambulance rides. In a moment, we will cut away to my chat with Tracy. But to get things started, here's a little background. Back in the day, ambulances were really nothing more than glorified wheelbarrows or wagons that people used to move the sick and the injured when they were unable to walk for themselves. In fact, the word ambulance comes from a Latin word meaning to walk or move about. At first, these wheeled ambulances were used to carry critically ill people outside of town by force, where they were far enough away to keep from upsetting all the healthy people. Bad form, I know. But eventually, between the 1400s and the 1700s, we started using them to actually help people, especially soldiers, who desperately needed medical attention. Our first attempts still only involved efforts to move people and give them brandy to drink. Because for a time, we hadn't quite figured out how to give people care on the way to the hospital rather than after they arrived at the hospital. But slowly, our ability to give care during the trip improved and so did ambulance technology. Over the course of a few hundred years, we've graduated from wheelbarrows to horse-drawn carriages, and then from the first motorized ambulances in 1899 to the much more advanced vehicles we use today. Modern ambulances these days can come in the form of helicopters, airplanes, boats, ships, and even trains, but for this week's adventure, we'll be focusing on riding in the truck versions, which are technically called medic units, as you'll hear Tracy mention a few times during our talk. Actually, come to think of it, there are a handful of other times when you'll hear Tracy using technical terms like traction splint or stabilization, too especially during the moments when she was really on a roll. But don't worry about it if you aren't listening with your medical dictionary handy, because for the most part, you'll understand everything Tracy is saying, even if you aren't familiar with the technical terms she uses, except for a couple of them that you'll want to have under your belt beforehand. The first one is the term triage, And when you hear Tracy use it, know that she is talking about the process of deciding how urgent each patient's needs are so that the team can figure out which patients to treat first. The other term is dispatch. And when Tracy uses that one, know that she's talking about the process of assigning an ambulance team to respond to an emergency call. As you listen to our talk, you may notice other open-ended ideas and medical emergencies that we approached without a terribly deep dive, but I'll be back to revisit those at the end. Now, for a final, final note before we really do start for reals this time. When Tracy and I sat down, we got into the nitty-gritty of modern-day emergency transport. As you might expect, some of it involved describing typical medical emergencies. But at times, because Tracy talked about work in urban centers, it also involved talk about emergencies related to drugs, alcohol, and violence. We did not dive into gory or explicit details, but if you've got little ears nearby, or if you think our conversation about medical emergencies could bring up scary memories, it might be a good idea to decide ahead of time if you feel comfortable playing the rest of this episode. We think you will, but it's totally your call. So, finally, let's do this. Now go. So first things first, you are on the show today from hundreds and hundreds of miles away because you are an EMT and we're going to be talking about ambulance rides. So first things first, what is what does EMT stand for and what does an EMT person do?
0: Well, EMT stands for emergency medical technician and there are different types of EMTs and they do different types of things. So I am what they call an EMT-B, where the B stands for basic. Um, I do basic life support, and then you have things called like an uh, EMT-P, which is a paramedic, and they do advanced life support. And then you have, um, in between a B and a P, you have an EMTI, which is intermediate, and they can do more than a B, but less than a P. When you graduate from the academy, you get assigned to a station. Okay. That station has a a unit, okay? And so you're assigned to that unit at that station for whatever shift that they assign you to. You will also be assigned a partner. So there's always gonna be two of you on that unit, and that's how it goes. You come in for your shift, you and your partner, you already, you have your unit because that doesn't change for the most part. It doesn't change. Um, And you go on your unit, when your bell rings, you go run your calls. When you're done running your call, you come back to the station and wait for the next one.
1: Okay, so let's say today I wanted to become an EMT. First, I would have to go to school. Mm -hmm. Then there are different kinds of EMTs or emergency medical technicians. They get different training that enables them to do different kinds of care. Then after graduation and after getting a certification, I could choose where I wanted to work. And if I wanted to, I could choose to be assigned to a fire station, which is what you did.
0: Um, yes, you can choose where you want to work, but you would still have to apply like mm-hmm. you do any other job. Like it's not a given or a shoo-in.
1: Okay, so this is making sense now. You go through some training, <laughs> you learn things you need to know, and then you have options for where you would work. Where else? Um, Yes, you have private
0: excuse me, private ambulance services, you have like retirement communities, if they have an EMT program, you could work there. There's also things called event EMTs. So um, they fall more so in the private sector because you might have a concert. Mm -hmm. Anything can happen at a concert or you might have any kind of an event. Really, it could be a concert. could be thinking
1: marathons.
0: It it could be marathons. Yes, Mm -hmm. it could be karate tournaments. You could be having anything going on where there's a large amount of people. Mm -hmm. You want to have something lined up so that if something happens to someone, Mm -hmm. there could be care already there. So there's
1: all different types of places
0: you can take your skills
1: and work. Okay. Okay. I think I'm I'm clear now. So (laughs) since... But you still have to apply to those jobs separately just like you would anything else. Okay, okay, so then, okay, so, now, EMTs finish school, and maybe they're working from a firehouse. Tell us a little bit about the unit. What makes the unit special from other kinds of trucks that are not fire trucks? What is it, what's special about the unit? Tell me about, like, the equipment in there, and every ambulance is different. Okay.
0: Depending upon the type of equipment, depending on the model, the year, what new cool toy has come out, and your department has the money to go get it, or, you know. So, but for the, you have your basic things, like you have a, an oxygen system that works in your unit. That's very important. Um, you have, it's powered by battery in the back of the unit so that you can charge things. You know, you have to charge your monitor. You charge your suction machine. Your power has to be on to even use your suction because we have more than one type of suction. So things of that nature that you need that external battery for. We have equipment. Obviously, we have a stretcher and the stretcher to mount inside of the unit so it locks in and patients don't go flying around the back of the ambulance. We, we have seats that actually lift up where we also keep extra equipment. Have things like backboards, we have headboards, we have orthopedic stretchers, long boards, things that we use splinting for. Um, we have cabinets inside of the unit that are filled with all types of equipment. Your IV equipment, your needles. You have um, all your trauma equipment, your cravats, um, things to do sling your trauma pads, trauma dressings, all types, everything that you need to run a call is in the back of that unit
1: what would you say are the top three things inside the unit that you have to use as a basic provider?
0: um, Obviously we use in terms of equipment, we use a pulse oximetry and blood pressure cuff on every call because you have to get vitals. And, but in terms of like medications, I probably use, a lot of glucose gets used. Unfortunately, a lot of Narcan is starting to get used. Um,
1: so that was four things. Let's just go through <laughs> each. Let's go through each one of those. The first thing you said was the pulse ox. What's the pulse ox for? What does that do?
0: The pulse ox it measures the amount of oxygen in your blood.
1: And why why do we care about that?
0: <laughs> because oxygen is very important for the body's function. You have to make sure that your body and brain is getting adequate oxygen. So you might get a call for someone who has trouble breathing, and then you put them on a pulse ox, and they might have 98% oxygen, or they might have 88% oxygen. It's a big difference in how you treat that patient. So Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you're treating the patient appropriately based upon what's going on with them and also based on their vitals.
1: What about the, you said the blood pressure cuff?
0: yes we take blood pressures for every patient um you want to get a what we call a full set of vitals on every patient every call a full set of vitals consists of the blood pressure the heart rate the oxygen levels um depending on if they're a diabetic or not the glucose level mm-hmm. um you want to get their lung sounds make sure that they're there <laughs> and that they're adequate mm-hmm. um so those are the, I don't. Those are the things that we definitely on every single call, make sure we get before we really start doing much of anything else. But it also it depends on the call. Mm-hmm. So you know sometimes you might pull up on a call and someone has a gunshot wound and they're bleeding out. Well, we want to address that first before we start worrying about how much oxygen is in your blood. We need to make sure that you're not going to die. Mm-hmm. And then once we get that situated then we can if we can do both at the same time great Mm -hmm. but
1: you also mentioned glucose and narcan so are those drugs for people who have been shot what are the glucose and the narcan for (laughs) glucose is
0: used for people who have low blood sugar it brings their blood sugar up Mm -hmm. narcan is used for opiate overdose
1: which is
0: like basically the most popular opiate that people know is heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are using things like synthetic fentanyl, that has the same. It's a, a synthetic opiate, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so painkillers, pop- yeah, painkillers. You, you know, people might be on morphine or diluted, or there's another one that we use,
1: probably oxy. You hear about Oxycontin, Oxycontin a lot. Honestly, so I don't really
0: have, the majority of the people that I give Narcan,
1: Yeah, it's
0: because they use heroin. Okay. Like they'll wake up and tell you, yeah, I use some heroin, day," mm-hmm. or their some. friend that's, <laughs> some. Yeah, <laughs> or if you the, Narcan, you, know... you use more than some, right? <laughs> and you get some people, they're like, oh no, I didn't take anything. And we're okay. like, this drug is opiate specific. It will not
1: work if there are not opiates on board causing Uh a problem. Mm -hmm. So, Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the calls. So you work from the fire station. So does that mean that people call the emergency line, the 911 number, and then that's the first step of getting a team out to them?
0: Absolutely. The first step for any emergency is to call Mm 911. So the call comes in through 911 and we have what is called a call taker Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and based upon the information that the citizen gives the call taker the call taker then determines whether this call needs to be given to police dispatch fire dispatch or both Mm -hmm. um and then if it's going to fire dispatch it's okay now does this patient need or this you know this caller do they need ems services fire services or both Mm -hmm. and once you get all the information and get the location the computer automatically based on where you say you are picks the closest appropriate unit to get you you the help that you need. Mm -hmm.
1: What if someone dials 911 at four in the morning? If they call at four in the morning where are you usually coming from when you come to provide them with help? hopefully sleep (laughs) yeah well that was what i was getting at do you because if it's in the middle of the night and nothing is going on do you get assigned to just keep doing other things until you're needed or are you supposed to try and get sleep no um
0: in the firehouse in our particular department on night works we are allowed to lay down and close our little eyes anytime after 9 Mm p.m if we're in station Sometimes at four in the morning, we're already clearing another call. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't get sleep. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't make it back to the station until shift change. Mm -hmm. It's just the luck of the draw.
1: What are some of the most common serious emergencies that you pick up? So like the person calls 911, they talk to the call taker, and then you all get assigned to go and provide help. What are some of the most common serious emergencies that you see?
0: We get a lot of trouble breathing. Um, But even with the type of calls you get frequently, sometimes will depend on where you're stationed. Mm -hmm. Um, Some areas have a bigger problem with alcoholism. Mm -hmm. So they might get a bigger influx of intoxicated subjects then you might have another area of your jurisdiction that might have a bigger drug problem so you might get more overdoses another jurisdiction they might have a bigger population of the elderly Mm -hmm. so you might get your you know a lot of falls Mm and elderly specific you Mm -hmm. know Patients and then some areas you might have a mixture of everything mm-hmm. I feel like my area has a mixture of everything mm-hmm. but in terms of the most serious call that we get We get a lot of trouble breathing, especially this time of year. You have mm-hmm. people with allergies and asthma And they're just like, you know, I've used my inhaler all day and now I'm calling you guys So I get a lot of trouble breathing.
1: hmm No one's ever called because somebody choked on a chicken bone.
0: I had a gentleman call because he was choking on a Cheerio.
1: A Cheerio? hmm He called himself? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you more about that later. So <laughs> let's say the person called because they're choking on a Cheerio and they're waiting at their house. What can they expect during the next maybe 5, 10, 20 minutes after they made the call Well, they'll wait for you to come and –
0: well, sometimes, a lot of times, the call taker will remain on the line.
1: The whole with... time?
0: Sometimes. Sometimes, oh. the... because sometimes, you know, someone might call and they give information and they hang up. And so the call taker will tell them, you know, if anything changes, you call us back. Mm-hmm. So that way they can update you because the call takers are trained with how to instruct you to do certain things Mm -hmm. that will help you Mm -hmm. depending upon what kind of emergency you're having and so like if someone's having cardiac arrest Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and someone calls the call taker will actually sit on the phone with you and give you instructions on how to perform CPR Mm -hmm. until we get there Mm so and in this case, um, yeah, we, we arrived and the gentleman was still on the phone with 911. So, and they'll ask, you know, has the medic arrived yet? And, oh, yeah, they're here. Okay. But we'll let them go ahead and do their thing. Mm-hmm. But so that's the types of things that you can anticipate. They give you instructions on what to do um, depending upon what your emergency is. Mm-hmm.
1: So what if uh, the person... Let's say the person choked on the Cheerio and they're waiting for you to come. And at the same time, uh, their cousin fell down the stairs or something. So what can they expect when you show up when you're you're at the door and now they're not on the phone with the, the call taker anymore? I know that's a bizarre scenario, but I'm trying to sort of imagine step by step
0: what so people wait, would
1: experience.
0: Do we have two patients now or did the choking person fall down the steps?
1: What if the choking person fell down the steps? Are they injured? Um, we don't know yet. Okay, they, were, well. they were able to make the call. Maybe they fell down the stairs and it, it knocked the Cheerio loose, but now they're at the bottom of the stairs and they need medical attention. They don't know how hurt they are, but they were able to call 911. We will get there and address whatever the emergency
0: is Mm -hmm. at that time. So if we get there and he says, oh, well, you know, the Cheerio is good. I'm not choking anymore, but hey, my leg is bothering me. Okay, well now let's assess your leg. Let's see what's going on, Mm -hmm. you know? And then we'll go through everything that we go through for a fall injury. Mm -hmm.
1: So you you do things to them, do an exam while they're still in the house? Or do you ever just show up and get them onto the stretcher and put them in the truck right away?
0: Your assessment begins really from the time you get dispatched because um and I meant to say this if that person called back to 911 and say hey the cheerio's good but now I fell down the steps and my leg hurts Mm -hmm. the call taker updates the call Mm -hmm. and now the dispatcher says sees a note that says you know cheerio gone fell down the steps leg hurt so now they We'll send a message and also over the radio update that crew that's on the way to the call and say you know additional information cheerio was no longer stuck but patient fell on the steps so yeah. now mm-hmm. so now we know and they try to update us as much as possible so that we can prepare and not walk into situations blindly mm-hmm. so your assessment and your train of thought begins from the moment you get that call mm-hmm. um Even the the things that you bring in to a person's home Mm -hmm. are based upon what 911 is told by the caller. Mm -hmm. So now that we know, okay, it's a fall injury Mm -hmm. and it's a leg. So we know now we might need something to splint the leg. We might need to start thinking of ways how we're going to get this person out of the home Mm -hmm. onto the stretcher Mm -hmm. and into the unit. Mm -hmm. and so you just go from there now if we get there and this person has like a femur fracture Mm -hmm. we're going to do what we call a load and go because Mm -hmm. that is a very dangerous injury Mm -hmm. but if we get in the house and the patient doesn't have any obvious deformities or any you know he says oh I know I fell but is the person still on the floor or has the person now walked into the kitchen you know that Mm -hmm. makes a big difference Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. every you have a basic set of rules and a, basically i guess a list of what to do and how to do it but it all depends on the call and every call is different
1: what if the leg is bad and you do the load and go that means you put them into the unit once they're in the unit before you all pull off if we're just imagining it from the patient's point of view what types of sights or sounds or things might they experience as they're being loaded into the units. well we feel that one of the most important things to do is to let the patient know
0: what's going on let them know what we're doing so we don't want to just come in and grab them because they're going to freak out like what's going on you know Mm -hmm. so we let them know what we're going to do to them before we do them Um, if you have someone who has a femur fracture before we can move them we have to use a special traction splint to stabilize their leg in the first place. So we'll let them know that this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is how it might feel, mm-hmm. but it's going to give you relief. You know, it hurts now. We're going to, you know, give you, this traction is going to give you some relief. And from that moment, you're probably, if they're a smaller person, they might see just us. If they're a bigger person, and it might be a little bit much for the crew to handle on their own we'll call for manpower and we'll get like an an engine or a truck crew that will come just for the sake of helping lift that person Mm. out of the home onto the stretcher into the unit Mm -hmm. Um, some calls require more than just two people Mm -hmm. so they might be expected to see some firemen coming around helping out um, and then, you know, they'll, they'll get in the unit. And every, like I said, everything that we do, we tell them before we do it. If we're going to get a blood pressure, we tell them, hey, you know, I'm going to take your blood pressure. If we're getting a finger stick, we're going to tell them before we stick their finger. Okay. Everything. So they're a part of the process the entire mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to expect us to be asking them questions. Because if you fell. hmm Yes. Now we we've taken care of your immediate, obvious injury, but now we have to figure out and dig a little deeper. Did you hit your head when you fell? Mm-hmm. Oh, you did. But well, did you lose consciousness when you hit your head? You know, did you remember the entire event? Did you fall because you just lost your footing and you fell? Did you lose consciousness before you fell mm-hmm. or after you fell? And there are so many different things. Mm-hmm that we have to look
1: into so that we are giving the most appropriate care that we can give. So the person who choked on this Cheerio and then hurt their leg is now in a truck and-
0: no, you They're said, in the unit. They're in, <laughs> oh,
1: they're in the unit and you've explained that you're gonna be doing some things to examine them, to check them out. How much of that information that you get from that exam plays into how you decide which hospital they go to or if they go to the hospital at all because is it possible that some people who call 9 and have a unit come to their house don't get taken to a hospital absolutely um
0: the information that they give us the injuries that they have the vitals that they have all determine the hospital that they go to because different hospitals are
1: equipped to do different things so I can't um, tell you that I want to go to the hospital that's close to my cousin's house.
0: No. We take people to the closest appropriate hospital. However...
1: Can I go to the one that I know my insurance will cover? Unfortunately, if it's not the closest
0: appropriate, no. However, there are circumstances... Can I go to the one where my aunt works? (laughs) Sometimes the one that your aunt works at is the one we were going to anyway. There are circumstances where we will take a patient where they want to go Mm -hmm. if we can because sometimes you might be smack dab in the middle of two hospitals Mm -hmm. and you might not want to go to hospital a you might want to go to hospital b well if hospital b Mm -hmm. is equipped to do the things that you need done Mm -hmm. then sure we'll take you to hospital B. Mm -hmm. A lot of times with women who are pregnant, we try to take them where they're being seen Mm -hmm. because that's where their doctor is, their doctor is familiar with the baby. Mm -hmm. If you're going to the hospital for a pregnancy related Mm -hmm. issue, Mm -hmm. like if you're you're pregnant but you cut your finger, we are not going to drive you 30 minutes out of the way Mm -hmm. when there's a hospital five minutes down the road. some hospitals are what we call cardiac hospitals. So if we check you out and you're having a cardiac event, sorry, if, if you want to go to the hospital that's right across the street, if it's not a cardiac hospital, we cannot take you. They are not equipped to do what needs to be done. And at that point, not only will they end up getting shipped back out to the hospital that they should have been in the first place, Will actually get in trouble Mm -hmm. for taking them Mm -hmm. to the wrong hospital Mm -hmm. because they need a certain type of care. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we might be right across the street from a hospital and that hospital is appropriate for what you need done Mm -hmm. but we still will not and cannot take you there because sometimes that hospital is on an alert. So if we have a cardiac patient and we're right across the street from the cardiac hospital but they're on a red alert, that means that they cannot accept cardiac patients. So we have to go somewhere else. I had a patient, we were literally less than two minutes from the hospital when the hospital went on reroute. And so we had to go all the way back in the other direction to go to a different hospital. That mm-hmm. happens from time to time.
1: What about family? How, how do you decide if family can come in the unit with the patient? We will
0: allow one family member to ride with us and they ride in the front seat they ride Mm -hmm. in the passenger seat Mm -hmm. um as long as they can get up in the unit and out of the unit on their own then they can go Mm -hmm. if we if they would need our assistance they can't go because it's at that point it's a liability situation if something happens they slip and fall out of the unit because it's the units sit really high up so we have that issue more so with like, the elderly who, you know, they come out and they have like their cane and their walker and it's like, mm, maybe you'd be a little bit more comfortable in a car that's lower mm-hmm. and you can have a family member, you know, drive you to the hospital and meet us there. So we allow mm-hmm. one family member or it doesn't have to necessarily be your family, it could be a friend.
1: So yeah. if you and your best friend are
0: out and you're choking and they want to ride with you, then they can do that, but they can't ride in the back with you. They have to ride in the front seat. And sometimes, I don't want to say we discourage people from riding with us, but we encourage people to remember that if they ride with us, then they need to figure out how they're getting back home. Oh. So if you have a car and your car is on location, it might be better for you to just meet your friend at the hospital so that way you have your own transportation after it's all over and said and done because... We drop off. We don't pick up. (laughs) Not in the
1: 911 service. We don't pick you back up. Okay. Once they get to the hospital, where where do you all pull in the unit? Do you pull into the emergency department? Yes. So the emergency, every emergency department has two entrances.
0: Mm. One is for the public. Yeah. So... If you're sick and you drive yourself to the emergency room, you park your car, you go through the emergency room for the public, that door. Um, Every emergency room also has what they call the ambulance entrance. Mm -hmm. So there's like, it's normally tucked away a little bit, kind of one of those things, but you're only going to get there if you're supposed to be there situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they'll have parking that runs right in front of the door.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you back your unit up, you're essentially backing your unit up to the front door of this emergency room. Mm-hmm. Offload your patient or you, know, you take them out of the unit and you go right into the emergency room.
1: Is it true that people who arrive at the emergency department and ambulances get to go straight to the front of the line to get care? I am so glad you asked that question because I want to poke a
0: big hole in this imaginary bubble. I don't know where this <laughs> logic came from. No, 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 no. You do not get seen any quicker because an ambulance brought you in. You get seen based on your priority once you are triaged by the nurse. I don't know where that theory came from and i actually have patients Or family members of patients tell the patient, well, go in the ambulance because they'll see you sooner. No, they won't. They're not going (laughs) to see you in your splinter just because you came on a stretcher. Because I have taken so many people to the waiting room Mm -hmm. that it's not even funny. I take people to the waiting room on a daily basis because they just don't have the staffing or the beds at the time. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to see you with your splinter over the patient who walked in on their own who's having chest pain or trouble breathing mm-hmm. you know what i mean so you're still prioritized with everyone who comes in the emergency room whether they come in through the front door on their own or they come into an ambulance you, you still get triaged and prioritized that way
1: so since you mentioned that is it still a problem or is it still a thing that people will call 911 for what turns out to not really be an emergency or is it still true that people will want you to come provide care for situations that are not medical emergencies.
0: My professional answer is that anyone who calls nine one one is for an emergency. Is it is an emergency to them? Mm-hmm. So it was bad enough for them to want to call nine one one or feel the need to call nine one one. So. In their life, in that moment, they are having an emergency. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of medical emergency, medical necessity, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do get a lot of people who will call, and it's almost like I don't know if it's, I feel like there's a cultural shift. We'll have people who will call and they'll say, Oh, well, you know, I called because my leg hurts. Well, how long has your leg been hurting? Oh, for three weeks. And we'll say well did you call your primary care doctor and, and no and have you taken anything for the pain no well what changed what you know what's different today that you call 911 today than three weeks nothing I just got tired of dealing with the pain so hmm. it's kind of in, it's kind of a, a cycle because now that they've done it, We still come out to them. We still Mm -hmm. transport them. Mm -hmm. Um, We are not allowed to refuse transport to people. Mm -hmm. We are not allowed to tell people that they do not need to go to the hospital. Because they'll ask, well, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And my response is, you know, ma'am or sir, honestly, it's your body. And only you know how you feel. Mm -hmm. And if you felt bad enough to call 911, then let's go to the hospital and get it checked out. Because mm-hmm. you never know. Sometimes things seem minor. Mm-hmm. And not a big deal. But then they go and get test run And it's like, oh, wow, big thing. You know, I had a woman who was having abdominal pain for a while. And she called, went to the hospital, came back. Maybe my next trick working, she had called for something else. And we, you know... Well, the patients that we get used to seeing a lot, you know, you know, on first name basis, once you hear their address and, you know, you know, we asked, you know, how, how'd that other thing go? Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, well, you know, they didn't find anything. So the second time we went was something totally unrelated to the abdominal pain that we took her for the first time. By the third time I had to go to her house to pick her up, she said, do you know that they finally figured out what was wrong with me, she had a miscarriage and never even knew that she was pregnant. Mm. So you'd never want to downplay or underestimate what's going on with someone. Mm -hmm. But I do try to promote to people, if something's bothering you and you just don't feel right, go ahead and call your doctor, you know? Try to do some things to help yourself before you get to the point where you feel like you you need an ambulance. Well.
1: Along those lines, do you think there are any things that surprise people about riding in ambulances the first time, aside from the fact that they get a bill? (laughs) Um, Because people people just assume insurance covers a ride in the ambulance, but that's not always the case, is it?
0: Actually, people in my jurisdiction have just begun to be hit with the bill option in the first place. Hmm. Because... It's been about a year since we started billing. Mm. Um, we never billed before and now when we do. Mm-hmm. I good. think what I was gonna say I think what surprises people most <laughs> is sometimes they expect us to be doing things that if there's just nothing that we're going to do. Um, so now you're getting billed for a transport and there's not a medication that I can give you to help with whatever symptom you have. There is not an intervention for me to do for you. I essentially just gave you a ride. Okay. (laughs) And it's a very expensive ride. It's a $750 rough ride. So that and thinking that they're gonna go to the front of the line, those are probably Mm -hmm. the the biggest things that they're like, well, wait a minute, this isn't what I expected. Mm -hmm.
1: Are there things that you wish people knew before they called for an ambulance for the first time or are there things you wish people did or knew to prepare themselves before the first time they call an ambulance? Hmm.
0: I wish people knew about true emergencies and how taxed the system always is or already is and that sometimes what they might be calling for and and not to again not to downplay the emergency that is happening for them but sometimes we get calls to people's homes and you know I had a woman call because she said that her her vision felt weird and her head was killing her and she felt nauseous Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, ma'am, do you have a history of migraines? And she said, you know what? I totally forgot. I have Mm -hmm. a prescription. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know what? I'm just going to take my medicine. I don't want to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. The time that it takes us to receive a call, get to a call, ride emergency to that call, the risk that it takes to get to that call, to then be in that person's home assessing that person, Mm -hmm. talking to that person and figuring out that they don't want to go to the hospital is a minimum probably of about that whole process Mm -hmm. and at least 20 minutes. And in that 20 minute time, you might hear a cardiac arrest going out in your area Mm -hmm. that now this cardiac arrest person has to wait even longer Mm -hmm. because now we have to pull a unit from somewhere else Mm -hmm. that is further away Mm -hmm. because the unit for that area is handling a call that had that person done a little bit more planning for themselves or Mm -hmm. thought the situation through a little bit more, Mm -hmm. you know, we wouldn't have been with them. Mm -hmm. And again, never to want to downplay someone's emergency, but sometimes I just feel like there are things that people can do, to help themselves think about someone else you know Mm -hmm. think about and and that's the thing people don't they don't realize that the the system is taxed they just think you know Mm -hmm. so now I want to go to the hospital and they're not thinking about the person down the street that's having a stroke Mm -hmm. or the person around a corner that might be having a diabetic emergency Mm -hmm. and the fact that that person now has to wait even longer Mm -hmm. for someone to come and help them so
1: Mm I think part of that too might have to do with a bigger situation or a more of an overarching theme is this idea that people don't necessarily have all the education or all the tools that they need to understand different signs and symptoms of common challenges that they might face or, you know, basic CPR training or basic first aid training uh, that would help people be able to intervene for themselves or be able to better decide, if this is something where I need a professional medical person to come and provide help. And and so hopefully people will start to learn more about their bodies and and maybe learn more about whether I should go into the doctor, whether I'm okay to wait and get an appointment, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe as people learn more about that sort of thing, we'll see shifts again in how much emergency medicine, emergency services get used
0: So yes, education and being familiar with self, I think would help because like I said, now you have all of those, you know, all that personnel out to help this woman who ended up not really needing our help at all when there could have been someone who really did need us. And now they have to wait a little longer because we're on the side of the road Hmm. with poop and a patient that is no longer a patient.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it for our final question. Drum roll. I might put in a drum roll (laughs) later. So I'm assuming you need a special kind of driver's license in order to operate the unit. But is it true that while you are running hot or meaning that you're on on your way to provide care for someone? Is it true that you can technically drive the unit up a tree down the wrong side of the street, off a roof, and it would still be considered legal, street legal, because you're on the way to an emergency. We do not need
0: a special driver's license to drive the medic unit because of the weight requirement. So hmm. your regular standard license is sufficient. I can only answer this question based on my jurisdiction. Um, yes, if we're running emergency, you would think that, oh, you're running emergency, so... Whatever happens, you're good because you're running an emergency. No, that is false. In our jurisdiction, we have special training. Basically, we're, we're expected to be, I don't want to say better, but mm-hmm. better drivers than the average person because we're trained to be. Mm-hmm. So, no, if you drive your medic unit up a tree <laughs> over a bypass and into the river, you know, and, and we people think, oh, we can just speed and drive however we want. No, we can't. We're allowed to do a, over a, only a certain amount over the speed limit, hmm. so you have to be making sure that you're in those, you know, those guidelines and those
1: rules. Okay. Well, then the last I have a backup question: Is it true that the lights on the truck on the units flash such that when you're on a run, they will change the traffic lights from red to green?
0: We do not have that capability now.
1: I'm not going to say
0: that it's not something that is impossible. Um, I have been to some place, some gated communities that their gates either recognize the siren or the light and will open the gate that is otherwise locked and would not open unless someone had a key card or a code. I have experienced Mm. that. So like I said, the whole red light thing, I'm i am sure somewhere it can be done, but my jurisdiction, no, we do not have that option.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> on that sad turn of events. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Sweet. Thank you so much. No problem. So that was really fun. Hopefully you thought so too. Before we close for this week, as promised, Here is some quick follow-up to some of the comments we made during our conversation. At one point, Tracy mentioned that femur fractures can be very dangerous. And then we just went on with the conversation without explaining why they can be very dangerous. So in case you were wondering, a femur fracture is what happens when you break your thigh bone. The bone is very, very strong, so if you've had an accident bad enough to break it, there is risk of complications like blood clots, which can cause death. Tracy also mentioned cardiac arrest, which is basically what we call it when your heart stops all of a sudden. Cardiac arrest can be a very serious challenge, but when Tracy brought it up, It was part of a comment where she was shining light on a bigger, broader challenge of how our pre-hospital system is being stretched thin. As you might imagine, ambulance services around the United States keep pretty busy. In the city of Pittsburgh, for example, the ambulance service responds to more than 65,000 calls per year with only 16 ambulances. That's a lot of calls. Part of this growth in service volume is related to the fairly recent development of our 911 system, which serves as a nationwide universal method for reporting emergencies and now covers 93% of the country since the federal government set it up in the 1960s. But easier access to emergency support isn't the only reason ambulances are so busy. As Tracy rightly said, part of the volume is related to people using emergency response services for situations that are not medical emergencies. When she said that, I suggested that more tools and education might help the public to better manage all of their options in emergency situations up to and including calling for an ambulance. But at the time, I didn't actually say what any of these tools or educational opportunities might actually look like, so I'll share some of them now. One good tool for increasing your options in emergency situations is training in CPR or first aid. CPR stands for cardiopulmonary resuscitation, and it's a technique used to provide assistance for people who have stopped breathing. First aid involves techniques for dealing with everything from spider bites to diabetic shock. A key part of both of these techniques is that they help people learn to recognize the difference between major medical emergencies in situations that could be handled without calling 911. They also involve really useful training in basic first steps to take for all sorts of illnesses and injuries, including choking on a chicken bone. Sometimes you can take CPR or first aid classes for free through your workplace, but If that's not an option, you can also consider looking for books at your public library on CPR and first aid, or calling your local health department to find out more about any affordable ways of taking classes or getting free brochures or pamphlets or posters with basic emergency tips or answers to frequently asked questions. Another great idea is to know all of the options you have because these can vary from person to person and from place to place. Some cities now have phone numbers that you can use instead of 911 for situations where there is urgency, but no emergency. In Maryland, where Tracy works, the number is 311 But to find out if there is a similar phone number in your city, you can start by contacting your local police department through their website or their non-emergency telephone line. In cases where you feel you don't need to go to the emergency department, but still need medical attention sooner than your doctor's next available appointment, it can also help to know if your city has urgent care centers. Similar to 311, urgent care centers are set up for people who have urgency but no emergency. Urgent care centers go by different names, such as Patient First or Minute Clinic, and they provide care for all sorts of things, from burns to nasty head colds. They're also often covered by insurance, which is more than we can say for ambulance rides. Which are only covered on a case by case basis, depending on whether your insurance company agrees that the ride was medically necessary. Any of the ideas I suggested could help ease the overall high volume of ambulance rides so that people who need them most can get picked up even sooner and people who don't need them at all can avoid the experience and the bill altogether. Which is a good thing, because when we use medical services efficiently, the costs and the wait times can come down for all of us. Of course, if none of that puts a fire in your belly, maybe at the very least, this week's adventure gave you some new ambulance insights for winning Grand Theft Auto. At any rate, in case you were wondering, the woman who pooped on the side of the road did just fine. That's all for now. Stay tuned, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, you can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general, or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, stop by our website at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a
0: limited time, health science for the rest of us, listeners, can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code DARK42TOWERBEAMSUNSHINESTRAIN. Sunshine
1: strain. No, no, no. I told you we're not doing that. My
0: apologies. www.irisspecialtystore for things humans by health.com
1: Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds?